Yeah, so probably the biggest thing that I've learned about bigger cases in private practice is a lot of people say about getting to know your patient. And I've had a few cases where uh, I've moved into, they, they didn't need much doing initially. And we've been able to move into the sort of full mouth stuff quite quickly. And I haven't got to know them at all. And it doesn't mean just, you don't have to sit and chat with them for ages, but now I'm much more structured in my treatment approach in that I will do a stabilization phase and then a definitive phase. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of the Protrusive Dental Podcast. Today, we are talking about a journey and a story of a very talented young dentist. Uh, I'll tell you in a second who it is. And it's all about resonating with his story. Now, his story is very unique, and that's why I'm going to bring him on, because life doesn't always go as planned. And in dentistry, uh, as you're a young dentist, the sort of career path that you map out may not exactly go to plan. And, and there are some great lessons you can learn from stories and journeys. So the, the pathway that we're going to describe today is specific to one in the UK because of the, some of the, the, name of the names of the posts that we mentioned. So like, uh, max fax sho positions or dct positions or whatever so that's applicable to uk but i believe all over the world be it australia us wherever you are listening to this that uh, there are parallels that you can draw within your system if you're a young dentist who's sort of going up uh, in, in terms of training pathways so we can have like residency programs for example so that is applicable no matter where you're listening from so we're going to listen to alan's story his name is alan bergen he's also known as the cornish dentist on instagram uh, and his story involves the themes of mentorship challenges overcoming adversity gaining a work-life balance, so actually going abroad to Australia for six months. Uh, I don't wanna to give too much of the, the story away, but it involves so many themes, and actually it also involves a bit of luck, and something that we touched on uh, in episode 34 with Richard Porter on emotional intelligence was the element of luck in, in your career trajectory is actually very important and it shouldn't be overlooked. So before we join into the journey with Alan Bergen, the Cornish dentist, and speaking of journeys, uh, my wife and I celebrated our fifth anniversary uh, yet, well, it's actually today. Uh, she's at work now and I'm at home this morning. So I'm actually recording the intro for this episode, uh, but we celebrated our anniversary over the weekend. We went to this fantastic Turkish restaurant called Gok Yuzu. It's called Gok Yuzu. And when I, my wife first told me that we're going to this place for to celebrate, uh, I thought it was a Japanese restaurant going by the name, but actually it was a phenomenal Turkish restaurant. Some of the best Turkish food I've ever had, even better, dare I say, than when I went to Turkey a few times. Uh, it's It was in Finchley where we went in, in, in London, but I believe there are a few branches around. So if you're ever in that part of the world, definitely check out Gokyuzu. It's amazing. And don't worry, this is not the Petrusive Dental Pearl I was just sharing. Uh, you know, I know some of you are foodies, so I thought I'd share that little nugget with you. Uh, but the Petrusive Dental Pearl is coming in a second. I just want to share some very exciting news with you that September is no longer going to be named September. It will be Splintember. Thank you, Ricky Bopal, for giving me that suggestion of a name. But basically, September, all the episodes that I'm going to release are going to be to do with splints. They're different types of splints. I want to talk about Michigan, soft, tanner, 
anterior deprogrammers, anterior midpoint stop lines, uh, anterior repositioning splits. I want to talk about all of them and I want to really break it down, simplify it. Uh, I, I posted on the Protrusive Dental community recently, like, what do you guys want to know? Like, how can I help you in your journey with splints? Uh, and some of you had some great suggestions points. So, so some of them were like, uh, can you please produce a flow chart? Can you show some like A to Z videos? So I'll try and do that as much as possible for Splint Timber. So join me uh, in September, Splint Timber, for loads of uh, Splint content I want to share with you all. Uh, and if there's any specific, anything specific you want to know, please reach out to me, message me, email me, and let me know. And so the protrusive dental pearl I have for you before we uh, dive into the episode is when you are cementing crowns, so this could be temporary crowns or definitive crowns, when you're cementing them in, uh, quite often after you cement it in, you get loads of mess everywhere and you have to spend some time actually, you know, getting a scaler or something and scaling the, the facial surface of the crown so the patient doesn't walk out with this horrible white cement or definitive cement. Uh, and, and also uh, the gingiva, you have to like clean up the gingiva as well to, to, to remove the excess cement, which is very time consuming and annoying. So uh, a tip I've absorbed over the years is you get a, a micro brush and you dip it in Vaseline. So, so once you've tried your temporary or definitive crown inside and you checked everything and you're ready to cement and everything's dry and ready, you'll get some Vaseline and you'll paint this Vaseline a little bit on the gingiva, a little bit around the, the crown on the outside surface. Obviously, you don't want to put it on the intaglio surface, so on the facial surface, for example, of the crown. Uh, and you have to be very careful with this. You want to put a very thin amount on the adjacent teeth, proximal surfaces. Uh, you don't put too much because as you seat the crown, the Vaseline can creep inside the crown. So it has to be like a very thin film. So now when you load up the cement and put it in, it's gonna be the easiest cleanup ever. So that's the, the pearl I have for you. And also an additional pearl I have for you is I'm very uh, much a fan of using long handled pink teepee brushes when I'm cementing posterior crowns to just clean out the uh, embrasure space and, and, and clean out any excess cement, uh, as well as flossing. So floss is great at clearing the contact, but sometimes to get the bulk of the uh, sort of cement out, I use a TP brush, an incidental brush, long handle. And I think for the sake of you know, a couple of pennies, it makes my appointment go quicker, smoother, and I've never had any cement stuck between, even I can verify that radiographically since I've been doing this. So it's a great thing to do. And even if you have a really bad day, uh, and it can happen sometimes in tricky situations, and you actually leave some cement uh, and you can't floss, you know that the patient can TP. And as we can talk about another time, you know, the, the chewing action will actually break down the, the cement in between the, the teeth, and eventually you can sort of work at it or use those little serrated saws and stuff but ideally you want to prevent all that so the vaseline can really help you to prevent that and also a much easier cleanup so i hope that was useful and let's join in and, and listen to the stories uh, and and the, and the lessons and the themes with alan bergen the cornish dentist alan bergen welcome to the protrusive dental podcast my friend hi how's it I'm I'm doing great, man. I was going. I'm just want to tell everyone about how I uh, found out about you. Uh, I connected with you. I think earlier on in in the sort of podcast, we I think it was uh, an episode about splints or something, and we sort of like you know Instagram messaging each other about splints. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Struck a few chords with uh, with you know looking at we're doing the same sort of thing and uh, Dawson style. So yeah, just yeah, a lot and- of uh, similarities. That's right. And then later on, I know I put a, a reading list out recently and then you sort of bounce back. And so I think we've got quite a few similarities. And uh, what I noticed about you was you when, when, I, when I sort of um, uh, connected on Instagram with you, uh, your um, dentist Instagram profile, the, the Cornish dentist, is literally like a dental pornography and nothing short of it. <laughs> Thank you. 
Honestly, it's a, yeah. it's a great profile. And uh, I mean, one of the things that we can talk about is, is, is that amongst uh, other things that I want you to bring you on for. But just for, for those listening right now, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you qualified and your career journey? Because a, we, we be, a lot of what we will be discussing today will be career focused about what decisions me and you have made in our career so far and <clears> how we can get into full mouth dentistry, comprehensive dentistry without necessarily specializing. Yeah, sure, sure. So um, I trained in Cardiff at uh, Cardiff Uni, graduating in 2012, and uh, I loved Cardiff, and then decided that uh, we're going to stick around in that area. And my year was actually the first year that uh, I had to apply for DF1 online. So they went, they changed from the uh, central, changed to the central recruitment scheme rather than just, you know, having a room full of people and uh mixing in that way so uh, everybody applied online and my application actually didn't go through properly oh God. and so when i phoned them up i said you know what what's the situation and they said yeah yeah i can see uh, all your information all the details and everything um but the form hasn't come through as submitted so we take late submissions very seriously you have to apply again next year and uh so i was no a bit way. Yeah, I mean, that was it. Literally, um, that was the end of my DF1 before it even started. So I basically had, I pretty much had one job that I could apply for, which was a DF2 12 months max fax post. And the reason all the other ones were off the cards were because they had a six month community post post attached, which you had to have a performer number for. So by complete fluke and coincidence, uh, I was due to do a two-week post at that MaxFax unit the next month. And so I pretty much just turned up and said to the consultant, you know, on the first day, look, just so you know, I'm going to be putting my name in the hat for this job. And he sort of said, you do realize that everyone else applying for this is going to be one, two, maybe three years qualified. And uh, he said, what, you know, you haven't even got a degree yet. <laughs> so <laughs> I sort of said, yep, that's, that's the situation. And uh, he's like, okay, let's see how your placement goes. And so I was just like threw myself into that placement, just doing everything I could, <clears throat> put my hand up. I mean, that placement, Alan, was pretty much like a, a two-week job interview, right? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And um, yeah, I... I loved it. I actually really enjoyed the post, the, the, the placement. That was the main thing as well. And then right at the end, I, I went into the consultant and sort of said, you know, I'll <laughs> hopefully see you again. And he, he, he pretty much said to me, you know, don't think I'm going to give you any favors. Um, we've got, this is, one of, this is one of the most popular posts in the area. So um, mm-hmm. see how it goes. And, and, and I, got, I got the position. I got the DF2 Amazing. post. And that was just the one post? Uh, yeah. Wow, well done. So I did that first of all, and then went on to do DF1. And um, when I I went to meet the trainer thing, I kind of found out that all of the trainers had sort of gone around rumor mill that that I hadn't actually filled the forms in, and that's sort of what they'd they'd told everybody. And so uh, I was. I was a bit like, okay, that's fine. I just got to prove myself. And, but then the Max Facts background went down pretty well. And so I worked again then in the Rhonda Valley, which is a pretty high needs area. Uh, some 
awesome patients, lovely people that I worked with. But you, you know, again, you just get stuck in and, and saw a lot of a lot of high needs there. What was that um, like, uh, Alan, going from uh, Maxfax and then into practice? Because um, a lot of people sort of worry about going into Maxfax and then going back into to practice. How did you? I mean, your your story is very unique in that you almost did it the other way around. But how <laughs> <yeah>. did you? <laughs> it's amazing, actually. So you, at one point, you you know, maybe in the middle of fifth year before you went off a study leave or whatever was the last restoration you did, maybe. And suddenly yeah. you go through all this Maxfax and then you're now doing your DF one. How did you find that transition? Um, not too difficult actually, <clears throat> because the one thing I think Max Fax does for you is it pushes you to your limits and also gives you a bit of real world realization. And you, whilst you can still then reflect and be, you know, think about all the procedures you haven't done at the end of the day, you've, you've seen some pretty intense situations in the hospital and you can kind of think, actually is just a tooth. Like, let's not mm-hmm. get too over the top about it. Um, and, and some of the scenarios you, you, you treat in, in MaxFax, you end up being quite glad just to take a tooth out or, or do a filling. And um, mm. yeah, I didn't find it too difficult. And, and it was still DF1, you know, so there was as much hand-holding as you needed. But I did find I was getting a lot of extractions ending up on my list and my boss did not like taking teeth out so he's just sending all this stuff my way and um and I think yeah I think it worked out well for both of us and uh yeah Mm -hmm. it was was a great great year actually and um then after that my wife we were she was working in Cardiff as well and she's also a dentist uh she's a therapist Okay, yeah, cool. So hygiene and therapy. And she said, uh, I've always wanted to go traveling. We, we never went traveling. And I was a bit like, okay, you know, um, I've been offered another position straight after, after the DF1. And we kind of looked at it and said, you know, there's no other time that you're going to have a definite break that, you know, you get a one-year contract in DF1. So I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. So we went traveling for six months. And um, we just went all around Asia, uh, Australia, New Zealand. And my worry was the same as after MaxFax, you know, I'm going to come back and everyone else is going to have got ahead. I'm going to be mm-hmm. left behind. How, how am I going to catch up again? Mm-hmm. And um, actually, it wasn't a problem. Kind of got back and found that, um, you know, things hadn't moved on all that much and, and we had a great experience. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. 
You don't play by the rules, do you, Alan? You always, uh, <laughs> it sounds like you just like doing something different. I like it. I like where it's going. It's very good, actually. And I think it's going to help a lot of people who are in, in I mean, you know, hear about people in very unique situations. I like your story. Uh, it's very different. And you also touched on the having that break and almost you get, you get, you get FOMO, you get the fear of missing out. And they're like, oh, you oh know, yeah. everyone's going to be going ahead. What if I get left behind? But, you know, you, I can tell from the, the type of dentistry you're doing that you certainly have not been left behind. So how did you, how, how do you fast forward to the, the, the Cornish dentist that you are now? How, how do you get to, to, to the type of dentistry that you're doing now? So um, we moved to Bath after we went traveling. And uh, the, uh, I was in a mixed practice there. And my thought process was, you know, I really enjoyed Max Fax implants is going to be my thing and so i did the um implant master's degree through bristol and i was in quite a fortunate position there where my practice was placing quite a lot of implants so my boss was willing to somewhat mentor me hold my hand a bit because one thing you find on the msc is it's an incredible course and I really, really enjoyed it, but you don't have a huge amount of hands-on. So, or, or that's not quite fair, actually, I suppose. It's, you don't do a lot of cases. So you have quite a lot of hands-on, but it's just one or two cases each year. And, but those cases are done to the textbook gold standard. So you learn a lot. You just haven't repeated your, your skill set that much. So that meant that in practice, once I was into the second year, my boss said, great, uh, you know, you can start placing simple implants with me. I'll be there if you need any help. And, and um, that was a really good way to be able to do that postgraduate because it meant that you could still practice. And mm -hmm. I know some friends of mine who were on the course had to pay quite a lot to get mentors in to observe them and uh, just makes it more difficult to, mm, to get the big practice. Time. Um, and it was in that position that I sort of decided, I saw these posts on Facebook, these amazing cases. And I thought, that's what I want to be doing. I want to, I, I want to do that sort of dentistry. And the one thing everyone was advocating was photography and mm -hmm. taking decent photos of your work. And that's how you can reflect and, and improve. And so I'd already been taking photos quite a bit, but I just sort of trying to, trying to up that and at least trying to get a before and after or, or during procedure photos, maybe not full protocol, but that's why I started to be able to just self critique my own work and, uh, and not just the work, critique your photographs, your, your ability to, to take a decent photo. And the reason then I wanted to do that was to build a portfolio and move into private practice. Mm -hmm. And uh, then about two years ago, an opportunity came well, but actually it was longer than that because this opportunity came up for a private practice job that just came through one of the guys on the implant course said oh mm -hmm. there's an implant position in Cornwall would anyone be interested and it was just as vague as that and I was on holiday with my wife and her family and I didn't tell her because she'd mentioned she I knew she'd want to go back to Cornwall one day that's where her family's from ah. but I was sort of dragging my heels because uh, things were going well in bar and so I applied for this job and I didn't tell her and, uh, and the guy messaged me back saying, uh, yeah, sure. Have you got any photos of your work and some x-rays or whatever? 
I mean, I'm by a pool in Portugal. I was like, yeah, I've got loads of pictures. And so I just picked out my favorites and sent them off. And that was my first sort of realization of, you know, actually the, the power of a, a portfolio. Mm, brilliant. And, uh, just kind of built from there. And then the only problem with that was that when I got down to Cornwall, um, I didn't have that impetus and that drive to actually take photos anymore quite as much because I, I wasn't going to necessarily be building a portfolio because this practice I was in, you know, the stat, I, I didn't ever dream of being in the practice that, that, I, that I was in. I actually wasn't even going to apply for the post when I found out which practice it was because I, they do a lot of work that I you know, almost didn't feel worthy of. Did, did of you feel as though you had a, a term called, I don't know if you come across it, imposter syndrome? Do you know what? I don't, I don't know if it was even imposter syndrome because I think imposter syndrome is where you, um, you don't believe you're kind of as good as you are. And uh, I think I was, you know, I actually wasn't, wasn't good enough at that point. <laughs> but I actually had the job offer 12 months before the job became available, which is see. a bit odd. And so I just decided in that 12 months that I, if I don't improve and get as good as I possibly can in my basic dentistry, I'm going to sink when I get into this new job. So I took that 12 months and just nailed the basics, nailed rubber dam, nailed my photography. And, and I just took it from there, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, the Instagram page, that was purely, I just started it because it was my new impetus to take photos, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I said on my webinar the other night, I said, you know, there's nothing like having a few thousand dentists seeing your cases and, and your photos. And, you, you know, it makes you just just try that a little bit harder to get do those extra little bits that you think no one would see and and it, everybody benefits really absolutely i mean i i think a lot of people say this and i and i wholly agree that the quickest way to improve your dentistry is by taking photos and blowing it up and zooming into the single teeth putting it on social media because you sort of have to go really got your comfort zone the first time you do it. Remember, you know, I remember the first time I posted online, I was crapping myself. So what, is, what are people going to say? What about that bit of blood by the rubber dam? Um, you know, all these amazing dentists who am I to put a photo on social media, but then the more you put it on, the more than the next day at work, um, you, you're doing it to get a better photo because you, you, you know that you're posting it online and other dentists will be looking at it and they're going to be judging you. But ultimately the patient benefits because you're trying to do everything gold standard patients benefit you yeah. managed to uh, critique your own work like you said but th- your whole story has been been good and you know that, that uh, famous steve jobs uh, speech I, for- I forget which um, university he did it and in america that famous speech where he says that you could only connect the dots looking back <clears throat> and I'm, I'm looking yeah. at your story i'm looking at your story and like you know your uh, unique sort of a uh, path where you, you know the the the, the the application error, and then you end up doing MaxMax, and then that later probably influenced your decision to go into implants. But then 100%. you also had a mentor who's, mm. who sounded like he was very giving in terms of uh, what, what they did for you, the right mentor at the right time for implants. Uh, and then having that 12, a job 12 months ahead, and then again, that made you think, right, I've got it. This time, instead of a two-week job interview, you almost had like a 12-month a job interview, if you like, whereby you're, you had that yeah. drive to do 
to really up your dentistry. So you had the, you, mm. you sort of need that drive, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like you said, connecting the dots, looking back, you know, some messy dots, really. It's been all over the place. But um, yeah, definitely the MaxFax drove me towards the implant route. And, um, and uh, yeah, each step is really, looking back, I suppose, I hadn't ever really thought about it, to be honest. But um, yeah, I can sort of see where things, how things went the way they did. And I guess it's just, to whatever extent, pressure, you know. Mm. You, you, you got a, that pressure to perform. And MaxFax definitely gets you started on that, you know. There's, I remember running down, well, my senior and I were running down to A&E. And uh, she turned to me and she said, this is the vertical part of the learning curve. And uh, I remember thinking, yeah, I, I don't know when that vertical part ever ended, to be honest. It's, <laughs> uh, it's just a crazy year. But, um, Brilliant. Well, I, I, I really like your, your, your story. And I think a lot of people can, can relate to it. Because I think a, a lot of young dentists, when they're saying, okay, I'm, I'm one or two years qualified, how do I go in this route? But there's, there's no set path. You, you know, some things... Mm. Uh, turn out random. And like I said to you, you know, you can only connect the dots looking back. But one of the, some of the questions I want to ask you now is how can we, because obviously you've got this fantastic profile on social media where your work is just, you know, beautiful. I, I love looking at it on social media. How can we Thank harness the, the power of social media? Uh, and I say that because of the, the, the great profile we have, you know, there is the, the good and the bad of it. Tell us about your experience mm. with social media. Cause I think, it, I think for you and for me, in terms of documenting my work and putting it on has been an acceleration of getting to be a better dentist because you're posting cases. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So like I said, I started it because I need, I guess that's a recurring theme really, isn't it? Actually in this story is putting pressure on myself to try and make you do something. And uh, so I wanted that pressure of knowing I set myself a goal that I was going to post a once a week. I think it was initially. And that pressure of knowing people are going to see this. So I think as well, when you're trying to make changes in whatever aspect that is, you can, it's, a, it's difficult and stressful to make massive changes and multiple changes all in one go. So if you start out and you go, right, do you know what? Today I'm going to do uh, full rubber dam. I'm going to take a photo of every single stage. I'm going to use a sectional matrix because I've never tried that before. And I'm going to do the perfect composite and I'm going to book an extra five minutes. You know, it's just not going to happen. You're going to have an awful time and it's going to be stressful. So looking back, I think the best way to make changes are incrementally and just small little steps each time. And then when you look back at the bigger picture, it, it, it'll be be worth it. And that's definitely something I've noticed since moving into, into where I work now at Pure is when I make a change now, it, it's quite small, but it will contribute to the, yeah, to the bigger picture. Um, practice is key. You, you can't, you can't just expect to be good at anything straight away. So, and that's, that's true with, with photography as well. But um, I think it's it's worth just just working out which area you want to improve on first, and and it's difficult. And and you know we've been qualified a few years now, and it's easy perhaps for us to say, photograph all your work and then reflect on your pictures and you'll learn. Well, mm -hmm. 
if you don't even know, if, if say you want to get into doing rubber dam properly, if you don't even know how to put it on, don't worry yourself about taking a photo of it if you can't even mm-hmm. get the rubber dam on in the first place. So yes, you can definitely learn from the procedures you're photographing, but try and get the basics of doing the procedure first and, and then take a few photos. And it doesn't even have to be 10 photos of every single case. It might just be a before and after and then build up to doing a before, after, and during. And, and you'll find that the skill set uh, becomes much easier and much more repeatable the more you do of it until it becomes the norm. And then you can focus on building the next aspect. Mm-hmm. That's the sort of way I'd approach it. Brilliant. Well, I think Albert Einstein said that if you haven't failed, you haven't tried anything new. And I was smiling when you were talking about, you know, you're going to take the, the perfect rubber dam, step-by-step photos. And, you know, we, we've both probably done it where we think, you know, a couple of years qualified and we're going to do it today. And, you know, you end up tearing the rubber dam and you end up looking at the oh, top yeah. and you only got 10 minutes left. And you just started the bonding procedure. The nurse is rolling her eyes. We, we've been there in that position. It's, it's not nice to be there, but, you know, sometimes you have to go through the that, that sort of... Um, tough period to, to actually then get to where you are. You have to have those difficult moments and make you reflect. But I think, I think standing on the shoulders of giants. So if you're, if you're a young dentist listening to what Alan just said, he just basically said incremental changes. So don't go for the, you know, the home run straight away, go for that little change. So it might be, for example, for me, I had my camera just sat there. I was afraid to use it because I think it might slow me down in NHS practice. But then if you just start taking a frontal photo first and then your focus should be, can I get the framing right so that afterwards I don't have to go on Apple Photos and, and tilt it every time. Then the next step could be taking occlusal photos and then taking them better. And then slowly but surely, you know, I think it's a much more logical way to improve than trying to get it all done at once, which is what you said, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, those increments, it's not, it, they're different for everybody. So it depends where you are and, and absolutely right. Yeah. Even it's not just one procedure. It might be an aspect of photography and then work on that. And, and, and I think if you have small goals to achieve, you're gonna, you're gonna achieve them more easily. And it just makes for a more positive atmosphere than just trying to do something really difficult and, and, finding it difficult um, every time. But I mean, like you're saying, yeah, with the failed rubber dam, I, I'm, I was amazed at how far a rubber dam clamp can shoot across a room, to be honest, when it, <laughs> when it goes. <laughs> yep. Yep, I genuinely, yep. I remember in my DF1, this clamp just come flying off and it hit this far wall. And I was thinking, oh, that's that further than I thought. And then, oh, okay, back, no, back in the room, I need to sort this out. But um, yeah. yeah, you learn from your failures. Well, Absolutely. My story with a rubber dam clamp is that, uh, you know, sometimes when you're clamping a sort of partially erupted lower seven, for example, and it's just, you know, the teeth are not quite gripping. It's just slipping off. I'm sure you covered that uh, scenario in, in, in the webinar that you did about rubber dam. But um, when I'm approaching that scenario now, I often warn the patient that, you know, sometimes it flies off and don't worry, these things happen. Because <laughs> after one time I did it, it literally spring, you know, sprung right back into my face. Luckily, my goggles protected me, but the sound it made of hitting onto my sort of goggles and reflecting over, I'll never forget <laughs> that. So, so that's it. When that's you a, see the nurse good... and the dentist working at arm's length, just trying to, you know, keep their <laughs> face out of the way. Absolutely. So then the next question I've got for you now, leading up to the, the saucy stuff of this episode is, one thing I, I look at your case, you're, you're a GDP. Yes, you have a, a master's, uh, it is a master's in plantology, right? Yeah, yeah. 
But essentially, you're a very wet-fingered clinical general dental practitioner, uh, and you do some great work. What advice can you give to a young dentist who who may want to eventually be able to do more comprehensive care, uh, <clears throat> in moving on from single tooth to multiple teeth to eventually full mouth, maybe? Now, not everyone wants yeah. that, but some people do. I wanted that. What's been your sort of main driver, and, and how do you think you've been able to achieve to, to get to that stage? Yeah. So that all came for me as a part of that process of making this move into private practice. And uh, my boss at the time said, you know, I can see the photos you've sent me, that your work is good, but it's, it's small scale, it's single tooth. And we do much bigger cases at this practice. So you know, he said, I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm going to expect you to do a full mouth rehab on day one, but you need to know the principles of what's going on. And he said, if you want to, if you want this job, you need to go to the Dawson Academy. And I'd never even heard of the Dawson Academy. And I just thought, and I said, oh, what's that about? He said, oh, it's occlusion. And uh, I like, how long is that going to take? Like an hour? And uh, he said, <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's four modules and they're all like three days. <laughs> it's good. Right. Okay. I, I've misunderstood this topic. And um, the, so I went and did the, the part one and it was an absolute eye opener. And, and that was the moment when I sort of realized, okay, there is another level to dentistry that I just hadn't appreciated. And so then when I came back to the practice, uh, my, my boss is, he flies the flag for Dawson. He absolutely loves it. And then that was, again, the fortunate next step of having someone to bounce ideas off. And so there was also another associate, a new associate, my uh, colleague Graham, that joined a few months after, and he had to go and go and do Dawson. And then we went and did the second module together. And uh, that was the stepping stone process towards uh, doing that style of dentistry. And then as a group, myself, uh, Graham, and Mark, who's the owner, we'd get together and discuss cases and, you know, firefight them together and how we're going to get through to the next step. So it wasn't just do the course and all of a sudden, that's it, you're sorted. It's how are you going to implement that course into your daily practice? And so again, you like, have... Yeah, things like Mark, sorry, Mark was always... He said, look, I, I think it's best if you set up your own models and things like that. And so we, I still do that and then send it off to the lab again for, for wax ups and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, that was the, the process of, of the learning, really. So you had that push from, from your principal. And sometimes we, we, we need that. And sometimes we need that nudge and the kick up the ass. And uh, you, you then uh, got, went on to meet uh, the legend, legend that is Ian Buckle, who, who's uh, <laughs> yeah. quite, quite the character. What, what a great guy. Like, a lot of bit of Ian. Yeah. Now, Ian, Ian is, a, is a cool guy. He, not only will he teach you about occlusion, but he'll teach you uh, about the finer things in life that, you know what, sometimes there are, you know, his famous line is, you know, there are there's rugby that needs to be watched and, and, and chips that need to be eaten, you know? So I always think uh, <laughs> of life outside of dentistry when I, when, I, when I think of Ian. Did he mention he played rugby? I, I, didn't, I didn't catch that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we can leave that debate for time. But no, Ian's had a ma- massive influence on, on me, not only with the, the occlusal teaching, but I think you'll reflect back at the Dawson uh, mm. module. Now, I'm not just saying, you know, d- uh, there's Dawson, there's others out there as well, but it's just something that me and you have done, uh, a mutual thing. Um, he teaches you a lot about communicating as well 
because yeah. the, yes, all this dentistry, you can do it. But for me, still, the, the biggest issue is that you need to be able to communicate and have generate enough trust with a patient that they are going to be spending upwards of you know, many five, five figures and onwards, basically, because this sort of dentistry, when you're doing uh, complete, you know, f- complete dentistry, so there's general dentistry and complete dentistry, it, yeah. it, there is a, a lot of investment involved and you need to be able to get the communication side of it right. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, again, one of those things that you sometimes find you learn as you go along and you, you reflect afterwards and go, oh, maybe I didn't word that quite right. And uh, that, that is a tricky part in making the step into the, the bigger cases. And that's something, yeah, I guess you can reflect on your own um, experiences and then discuss it with others and see how they, they got along, really. But yeah, and Ian I- was great for that sort of thing as well. It's not just these are the steps. This is it's how you implement it as well. And it's good that you had a, a fellow associate, a colleague to go with you as well. And again, you can bounce those ideas in your practice together. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very, very fortunate to be able to do that, to be honest. The next thing, this leads us very nicely onto uh, your top tips for young dentists. So now we've talked a little bit about your career path, because I think it's important to people to hear that, to learn that actually it's never just linear, you know, DF1, DCT, then a practice job, and then that's it, you're set for life. It's not quite like that. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, there are many different variations. You might go away traveling for six months. You might miss, you you might have any sort of issue. So it's good to hear your side of it. Uh, We talked about your... um, documenting of cases and how you got into that and your drivers along the way and setting the little goals each by bit and incrementally improving. That was really good. We talked about social media and we talked about treating bigger cases as general dental practitioners, not Mm. necessarily having to specialize in what your path was. Um, And now I want to say, what, what can you, you know, for those listening and watching right now, young dentists, what advice would you want to give them above and beyond what we've already talked about? Um, so I think really it's, something useful would be don't rush to get to the end because you, again, I think you can be influenced and um, see cases online that you think that's what I want to recreate, but there's a lot of steps along the way to, to get to that. And if you just focus on that end goal, it's, you know, that it, people would say that, you know, you've got to enjoy the journey as much as the end point. And, and by setting those small goals, you can really appreciate every little bit and achievement that you make so yeah don't don't set this end achievement and you know oh once i do that then i'll be happy or then i'll be doing well because really it's it's got to be smaller than that and um the second thing i would say is in kind of links onto that is just try and take enjoyment out of your work i, I genuinely enjoy doing the, the work that I do and my poor wife when I come home and say do you want to see some photos I took today she <laughs> usually very politely obliges but yeah. you can you know she does not want to see another reclusive composite how long um, how long are you married <laughs> uh, just over two years yeah, mate, when you get to when you, when you get to five years, um, when you when you get to five years, uh, she yeah, she doesn't even listen to my she doesn't even listen to my own podcast. She's a dentist. She doesn't listen to my podcast, man. She <laughs> she couldn't give a shit about what I do, man. <laughs> I come home and I show the photos, and she's like, "Listen, I, I really don't care." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think when the baby comes, that's gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna be Game talking over, to him mate. about it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Poor kid. Yeah. So um, enjoy what you're doing, and so. 
on the same thing as the first point, I suppose, is I think when I was in mixed practice, you sometimes hear people saying, yeah, I wanted to get into private practice because then you get, you can book more time and all this. And you're sitting there going, well, it doesn't help me. I'm in NHS practice. But actually, you don't have – it comes back to the small goals idea. You can just pick one case. So say someone comes in and you have a look in the mouth and, they, and you go, oh, it's just an upper six occlusal. And you could think, okay, get that, get that done, move on. Or you could think, okay, I'm going to actually designate some time next week. And yes, I'm not going to make much money out of that case. I might even make a loss, but it's not going to affect your yearly take home. So mm-hmm. learn something from it. And you can, if you making the big change, going from doing what you're doing to, okay, I'm going to do the perfect crown preps and I'm going to do the perfect dentures. I'm going to do the perfect everything. It's, it's not going to happen. So just pick one case, enjoy it, and don't worry about the money on it. Just, just have a good time, learn something from it, and it might not go to plan, but something will, and then you can repeat that over and over. So everyone's different in how they're going to, how much time they'd be able to dedicate to that. But I, when I was in Bath, I was working, I, I, I had a lot of, part-time positions initially when we moved there and they were all very very different practices one was private one was uh, a high need nhs practice and and a couple in between and so i used my private practice time to try and do that but you can do it within your own normal day list it doesn't really matter I think Um, what you're given there is really real world advice. And I think that's going to help a lot of people. It's a mindset thing, isn't it? And I think, Mm. yeah, you can't go to doing everything perfect, gold standard, because, you know, you have to be realistic about the time. If if you all had three hours to do uh, a couple of composites for every case, our dentistry would be, you know, our contact points would be tighter. Our fissures would be on point. Our occlusion would not be as bad. Um, a lot of things would be in our favor if we had all that time. But to actually balance out, especially if you're in mixed practice or NHS practice, it's a great little tip that you get, great little nugget. I want to emphasize that. To I would call that protected time. Give yourself, and I think the way you said it was was great. Give, pick a case and say, you know, this is my protected patient or protected case and the rest of it you have to work smart and work well but still deliver as best care as you can but then that one case where you're just gonna fall in love with the dentistry in, in that fall in love with all yeah. of the dentistry but i think you know what i mean right that one case <laughs> yeah, you're gonna really yeah, yeah. you know put, put, put the put the sort of cherry on top and, and get it perfect and slowly you build your portfolio like that yeah and then and also if you're aspiring to achieve these cases that you've seen elsewhere i promise you those guys have all had times where they've taken their rubber dam off, checked the bite, and that filling has looked like a completely different beast after it's been adjusted. So it happens, but, and this is quite true, quite honest, actually, the more I, my uh, focus and occlusal anatomy and things like that have improved, the amount of time for occlusal adjustment has massively decreased. And, and I find that sometimes people put photos up and, and people might comment and say, you know, Oh, what's it look like once you've adjusted it, you know, actually taking the time to get a decent rubber dam on and try and thinking about the morphology. It, it, it's amazing how those cases go number down numbers go down and down and down 
with the ones that actually need to be adjusted and, and polished and that at the end. So it is worth the effort and it will come with time. But don't be disheartened when you put a load of time into that first case and you look at it and you go, that looks really good. And then it's high because again, it's just real world scenario that happens and, and be happy with yourself that you've got a decent Fisher pattern into it, even if it didn't last. Um, and, and reflect on why that happened and you can then work out methods to avoid that happening again. Well, I think you've just uh, set me up for the protrusives and the pearl for the episode. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> so that whew, I don't have to think very hard now. So I'll, I'll start off the podcast with it. We're giving that pearl away. That's, that's great. Uh, and, and yeah, just the secret to, to great composites is uh, you take a photo with the rubber dam on. <laughs> uh, so Alan, yeah. i just want to uh, finish off the podcast by asking you uh what are you reading well, tell us some of your because because uh, we had this little uh, thing on instagram we messaged you, you yeah. checked out my re- reading list and then you had a couple of your own suggestions please tell the, the listeners uh what what are you reading what do you like reading tell us about your book list okay so um there's probably a few different categories of book and uh i'm not a good reader i'm a very slow reader and I'm a very good sleeper, which means that <laughs> I've had situations where I've gone backwards in a book because I've opened it, gone, oh, I can't remember. I'll turn back two pages and see where I was. And I go, hang on, I'm, I'm, I've gone back a chapter. I fell asleep so quickly last time <laughs> reading it. I've got nowhere. So um, I read, well, following on from that, I read Why We Sleep, which was quite interesting. <laughs> and uh, that, that was good. It put me to sleep quite a lot. Um, Probably my favorite book was uh, The Secret Race, which is all about uh, Lance Armstrong's demise, really. And it actually came out just before he admitted all the things he was doing. And it's from his teammate, Tyler Hamilton. It's just a complete expose of how they blood doped and how they cheated their way through the Tour de France. And uh, that was a really good book. I love that. Um, So that's probably sort of the sport category of things. There's a book called Do No Harm by a um, yes. neurosurgeon. By a neurosurgeon, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic book. And again, it's just amazing insight into this guy's world of, of neurosurgery. Um, and then a couple of others that are just sort of self-development type books um, that's what i love tell us give us give us your top self-development that's my real you know <laughs> that's your passion um do you know okay the first one was the, the standard um how to make friends and influence people yeah that, that yep. got me started and, mm-hmm. and do you know what before reading that i was uh, super skeptical i was one of those people that's you know what, what is this wishy-washy rubbish about making friends or whatever and it's not about that at all it's about mm-hmm interacting with people and how do you speak to them so just quickly coming back to that point you were saying about um learning about talking about bigger cases there's a whole chapter in that book about smiling and and being a good listener and all those things you just sometimes the patient's talking and you think of something and you think actually don't speak just let listen to them Mm -hmm. and 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 nod and smile and, and, and interact with them so that was the first book that sort of got me interested. I, I've, I've um, listened to that one. So a lot of the books you're saying, you know, I, I, you say you fall asleep. I don't have that issue. I listen to all the books. <laughs> well, you can still fall asleep, I suppose. Usually on my commute, I'm, I'm listening. And, and the pro hack, I think I've shared it before, is I always put my, uh, I always listen on two or 2.5 times speed sometimes. Sometimes 1.5 times yeah. speed. I just get through so many more books that way. But that's the crazy sort of nature that, the, you know, that I have, I suppose. But uh, yeah, yeah. That, that, I actually try, try audio books. 
I was, yeah, I think that's what I need to do, isn't it? But <laughs> I, I started doing that by mistake because I was listening to this podcast. I was like, this, this is good. What's going on here? I, 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 I mean, I realized probably for about a month, I'd had it on 1.5 or two times speed on my phone by mistake. And uh, it was someone who happened to speak quite quickly and it was really throwing me off. Um, there's another book called Drive by Daniel Pink. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Yep. That's, that's quite um, interesting. And uh, the one I'm reading at the moment is called Ego is the Enemy. Okay. That's, that's cool. It's about times in, in history that people have ha- fell, fallen to their demise by their ego getting too big for themselves. And um, I don't think it's an ego thing, but just quickly dropping back onto what we were talking about with social media before was when I, when I started my page, it was a personal thing for me to put the pressure on me to do better cases. So it wasn't about, it wasn't about me. So Mm -hmm. I didn't put my photo on it or anything. And um, I was listening to an interview the other week with someone else who did a similar thing. And they were talking about trolls and negative feedback. And and the person interviewing them said, look, I get a lot of trolling and negativity and people commenting on the way you look and the way you speak and, and whatever. Do you find you get that? And this person they interviewed said, no, I, I don't really find that. And I was, I was reflecting on that thinking, you know, I, I don't get that very much. Um, but then I'm not putting myself on the profile. And I think for a younger dentist, you don't have to, a lot of profiles are featured around being, this is me, I'm the dentist, this is the work I do. But if you, you can just put your work out there, if you are, if you don't want to put yourself out there, you know, you don't, you mm-hmm. don't have to be the face of your, your page. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's a, a safe way to start. Sometimes you can always. That's a, that's a really it. lovely point. I think that's, that's good. Cause a lot of people uh, are not wanting to, yeah. Uh, put their face, um, attached to that, their profile. And I think it's probably mm. what you say. When I look at your profile, first time I saw it, I didn't see, I see loads of beautiful teeth. I didn't, I didn't see a face. And then I saw your personal profile and I said, Oh, okay. That's happened. So no, that's, <laughs> that's another good tip. And I think that will help a lot, a lot of people out there in who, who may, who may be nervous, um, about getting started. Uh, just put something on, put something on social media, not because everyone else is doing it, but because it will actually make you a better dentist. It will really, really make you want to really up your game. Uh, and I mm. think the, the there's, there's lots of people who'd agree, lots of great dentists agree that when they started critiquing their photos, they got better. But when they really got better is when they started just showing their photos to other dentists. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. Yeah. So probably the biggest thing that I've learned about bigger cases in private practice is a lot of people say about getting to know your patient. And I've had a few cases where uh, I've, moved into they, they didn't need much doing initially and we've been able to move into the sort of full mouth stuff quite quickly and i haven't got to know them at all and it doesn't mean just it, you don't have to sit and chat with them for ages but now i'm much more structured in my treatment approach in that i will do a stabilization phase and then a definitive phase and i it gives you the opportunity to cherry pick out those patients that you go well, I don't want to tie myself to this patient for a year, 18 months, two years worth of massive treatment because I think we're not going to get along. And I've had a couple then you, you find out during that stabilization phase, there might just be a few fillings or, uh, you know, um, some perio work. And at the end, I've said, I'm not sure I'm the right person for you to do your implant. 
and so you know you might think of that as going hang on you did all the leg work and then you didn't do the big treatment at the end that was going to be the most profitable but uh yeah just a couple cases got my fingers burnt doing the big treatment straight away and uh yeah after that i thought okay if you're going to commit to big treatments like that especially implants Someone said to me once, you put an implant in a patient, it's like putting a wedding ring on. You are married to that implant because, <laughs> uh, you know, that's like going to be there maybe for 20 years of service. Well, when you, when you present the plan to that patient, for example, and, you know, you have the stabilization and definitive, do you yeah. present them both sets of fees and both sets of plans? Or do you just say, look, we just need to get you healthy first and then we'll talk about the biggest stuff and then you just present them stabilization. How, how do you do it? Yeah, so... The standard um, new patient assessment for me will be get the patient in, take a full set of photographs, radiographs, do the assessment. Then we ping the photos up onto a screen and I'll get the patient out of the chair. We'll go and sit by the screen and go through their photos and say, okay, look, you've got, um, say, for example, you've got uh, decay in this tooth and decay in this tooth. Those are small things that we need to fix first to get your mouth healthy. And then we talk about wear or gaps or whatever. And then which I, so I might, I might tell them everything, but just give them a taster of everything and then summarize at the end and say, okay, so that's quite confusing. We've, we've talked about a lot of stuff. It's important that we make sure your mouth's healthy before we focus on the bigger picture. So I'm going to break your treatment up into a stabilization phase and then a definitive phase. And I say, I can give you an accurate estimate for the stabilization phase, but, and, and then we will reassess after that and then I'll give you an accurate estimate for the definitive phase because I don't want you to have any uncertainties um, or whatever um, that things will, might change if I give you a, a price now. So I'll usually say the stabilization phase, to so say, for example, it's a big case that's going to require reorganization, I will quote them the fillings and perio treatment or whatever um, and the record taking. And then I'll say, we're going to have a review after the record taking when we'll sit down exactly as we are now. And I'll give you a detailed breakdown of the cost of the next stage. And at that point, I will give them usually two treatment plans. I will gauge from them their budget and what they would like their desired outcome to be. So fixed, removable, whatever. And I'll give them two treatment plans. One gold standard one with some compromises that I think they might be um, okay with. Brilliant. I think that's a, a great, you know, I think, it's always nice to know how other dentists do things. Mm. And especially when in the realms of treatment plan, presenting, discussing fees, staging your treatment. I think there's so much we can learn from that. So thank you very much for that little addition. Well, Alan, it's been, uh, it's been great having you on the podcast, man. It's been, it's been, it's been always nice to, to, to speak to you on Instagram and now to have a face to face with you. It's, it's, it's been a real pleasure. And I, I, yeah, I look forward to, to, to catching you around. It's been, it's, you know, one, one of the great things about this podcast, I managed to connect with uh, lots of great people like yourself. I wish you and your family all the best. Uh, lots of exciting things happening in, in, in your world. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been lovely chatting to you, mate. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. So thank you so much, as always, for listening all the way to the end. Uh, join me for Splintember. I think I've got, got a couple more episodes for August coming out, some good ones. Next one being on personal branding. So we've got Shaz Memon from Digimax talking about personal branding. Should you have a website as an associate? Should you have a logo? Do you have the audacity to have a logo and you're only one year qualified? We're going to be talking about this sort of stuff. And don't worry, the answer is not very harsh at all. So uh, we're going to be going into deep into websites and that sort of stuff. So join us for the next episode. And of course, 
Splintember in September, which I'm really looking forward to. Thanks for those of you who signed up uh, for the waiting list on occlusion2020.com. We've got a few number of people there who I'll be contacting closer to time uh, and have an awesome week, guys. Thanks for joining me.